I'm trying to think of something humorous to say to kick us in, and I'm drawing a blank. No need. Give the title. It's time for the Access of Easy Podcast. Now, you got to understand that my whole attitude towards April Fool's this year was I've had enough of those fools. I'm boycotting April Fool's. I, you know, I'm surrounded by fools. Give me a day free of fools. And I decided somehow that was April Fool's Day. But, Mark, I'm curious to hear about Easy DNS's April Fool's stunt. Well, in a sec, but you just faked me out there because you were rolling when I was saying that. And you reminded me. <laughs> Of a story when I was in music industry arts and our prof was Jack Richardson, the the late, great Jack Richardson. And he said, you know how you can get the best performances out of bands? This is what I used to do when I was a record producer. This is Jack talking. Tell the band, we're just going to take a get levels off the floor, just play. And he would get the, the tape engineer to unscrew the recording light so that they didn't realize that he was recording because he said even just that indicator being on everyone would kind of so Changes it was just like vibe. yeah get the levels get the levels it's like okay there we go that's the bed track <laughs> and sometimes you would get the best performance ever from people who you know didn't know they were being recorded but the april fools joke of easy dns this year we actually canceled april fools last year because of covid this year, its immunity passports are now required for domain registration and renewals. <laughs> Classic. And then, and then we said, and since we're we're drastically retrofitting this onto your cyber life, we might as well take this opportunity to equalize everything easily. And we're making diversity and inclusion statements mandatory on your website and you have to post an ESG compliant certificate, click here for a template, click here to opt out. And it leads into a so, roll. I, I liked your first joke. Your second joke, un unfortunately was way too inside baseball for most people, but yeah, I but think, you had to I get them to the Rickroll. But I think an interesting follow-up to your first joke would be in, in the next Access of Easy newsletter. Because what I find one of the best features, quite honestly, of the Access of Easy newsletter is the cybersecurity stuff, mm. right? Because you that's, explain that's, that's, that. It's raison d'etre is that. Yeah, but, but you bring a politics to that that I like. Like, like, like you know, I don't like the dry cybersecurity stuff because it, 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 it loses the whole point, right? The whole kind of uh, the pandemic within the cybersecurity industry. <laughs> So I think it would be funny to do a follow-up on what if a requirement to register a domain name was to demonstrate good cybersecurity practices, right? Mm. That in order to like be a citizen of the internet, you have to do your part and kind of show that you're in your part of the world, in your domain, quite literally, that you're taking responsibility. That happens to a certain extent within certain protocols like for instance there's there's rbls there's real-time block lists called uh day old bread is one so it's a list of all the domains that were registered in the last 48 hours and so mail servers can say like you just created this domain we're not going to accept email from it because that's usually a spammer and then to to run a mail server on the internet is harder these days because you actually have to have 
IP addresses with established reputation scores and mm-hmm. things like that. So to some extent, and if they find that, that your is mail server is wide of, open, they'll blacklist you. Yeah, and but that hardly ever happens. But if they just if if you spring up a new mail server on an IP address today and just start sending email, like even the giants like Google and Comcast will just they'll they'll, they'll take a couple emails from you maybe. And it might go straight into the spam thing, but it's like you can't just connect the server and start sending email yeah. these days anymore because everyone's just a little. You have to earn a reputation to do it, and so I don't think that that's an entirely bad thing. And, and I think to your point about you know the band's playing and they don't realize that the show is recording. This strikes me as an excellent way for us to open this show because what we're describing here is the network state, right? We're describing mm-hmm. the protocols of the network state. And the kind of hidden infrastructure and the hidden reputation stuff. I use that only as, you know, let's segue into our usual stuff of Charles, what would you like to talk about today? You know, I want to interrupt and, and, Charles before he can. I'll right, just say ahead. the other thing about that is it's the network state, but it's an important feature of the next network state called, I would just say, all in an all encompassing way, layer two, second yeah. layer. So what yeah. it really means is that layer one it's free for all. Anyone can connect a server, anyone can register a domain name, but what's going to happen is at layer two, everyone starts imposing their preferences and their requirements and their security thresholds, and that all happens at layer two. So we're going to wind up with an internet. We've been like this for over a decade, where you have this big wellspring of just spew with this little razor-thin skim of signal on top and that's so, where layer two tries to mediate the difference between the what are you two using your big school words just use normal people words and i'll understand what you're talking about now here's where i think we have an opportunity <laughs> let's let charles talk because if we could translate what you just did which was take internet networking tcapip net, telecom networking and translate it to political kind of values i think that's brilliant and i think that we've got something there in terms of a potential translation sorry charles please go ahead no no i i want to talk about the network state too and i'm going to ask you guys for some sort of let's start a working uh definition like what are the parameters that that make the network state different from something just from the internet or or the nation state you know and i've struggled with this myself so that's um, but to well, your especially because I wouldn't separate it from the internet. But go right. on. But, no, yeah, it's like well, it's uh, is that is that is that the core parameter, or is the network state actually? Well, I almost the I, I almost feel like we're going right into that discussion. Versus, I yeah. think we should take a moment to step back and say, what should we talk about today? Okay, well, that's one thing. Um, I, I we all have been uh, exchanging emails about the Adam Curtis. Um, recent documentary series, I Can't Get You Out of My Mind. So that was that was another topic that I was curious to get your guys' feedback on. But let me just start with a little segue back to the whole network state and this thin layer of um, iridium or whatever, you know, to, to use like a, a geological um, uh, sort of analogy of, of Mark saying that thin layer, that's the detritus from the, um, you know, the meteor that destroyed the... <laughs> The dinosaurs, um, and in our you know in our analogy, that's that that uh, that barrier is that to what's destroying this the nation state. But <clears throat> just as as a user, I just wanted to add to Mark's kind of 
a parody of of of, um, of, of what the uh, all the notices you have to print on your site or, or post. Actually, that's that is that is already real. It's almost like a parody of a parody. If you run advertising, which I do, then you already have to post these huge disclaimers about the EU. The EU has its own requirements, and everybody that is, if you're posting on the internet, you gotta do that. The state of California has its own privacy laws uh, re regarding opt-in and out. You gotta make a you gotta make a statement about that. So at the end, if you you know every website, it's buried in there somewhere, but they have all this falderall, you know, this stuff that 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 matters, but nobody really you know cares about it and very few people follow through with the opt-out that is available for advertising privacy issues and all that because it's horribly complicated right so anyways those things already exist it's hard to parody something that's already a parody mark uh i was just you made me think of the end user uh agreements for sira the canadian internet registration authority for .ca domains i think it was originally over 1,000 pages, like in 2000, when it came out. And I think they've got it down to, I don't know. No, you know what? I'm a registrar. I've been on the board of CIRA. I've never read it. I think I did a page count 10, 15 years ago. I just, like, nobody gives a shit. It's, it's the terms of service. But in the network so state, that's going to be your constitution. No one will read that either because it'll I be, did. you know, 1,500 pages with nested contracts of adhesion in them. So, you know, we reference this contract over here, which references this contract over here, and you agree to them all just by clicking this tick box. So I, I decided today was going to be the first Axis of Easy Salon where I actually like, took notes and wrote shit down. So. Okay. You know, I'm inspired by both of you guys that you've been doing this all this time and it's taken me all this time to realize that I should do that. And, and now I'm on a blank piece of paper because I'm just shooting from the hip here. There we so. go. The, the, how, how the tides have turned. Um, I, I was going to say tables have turned, but no, it's tides have turned. I, I want to point out that two weeks ago uh, when we last met, I predicted that COVID was going to be a big subject as of today. And... Uh, certainly here in the province of Ontario, it is. There are more people in ICU beds now than there have been in the entire pandemic. The Premier of Ontario today announced a lockdown. And uh, throughout the world, Brazil today, uh, the head of the Army, the head of the Navy, the head of the Air Force all stepped down. Uh, okay, the i, I got to jump in go for ahead. a sec. I'm yes, sorry, I'm ahead. interrupting. I don't want to talk about this, but yeah. I will say this. Yeah. I'm going a little crazy because I look at the public health off public health Ontario data dashboard every day. Yeah. And well, I should which actually I still don't understand why. Because like we have this. Neither do I because the data it. is different. The data yeah. is different. This is I know this is coming from the province. It's showing a clear downtrend in hospitalizations, ICU yeah. and yeah. fatalities. And I'm like yeah. I'm I'm looking at this graph and I'm looking at the headlines. Again, and I, like, I feel that we've what repeatedly had the conversation of why are you sourcing that data? And but you agreed coming, in the past you didn't know why you were sourcing that data. But it's the official so I, Ontario government data. Why again again you're a libertarian when you cite the government as an official, especially a non network state government, I question but, your logic. 
but but that's but, okay. You could do what you like when it comes to who you want to cite. I have different sources. You know, my sources uh, I feel are backed by science. No, are but backed just by hang peer on. review. Hear uh, me I, out. again. Go ahead. You're interrupting. Government- but go ahead. I know. I'm going to stop, really. The government of Ontario says we're freaking out because of these trends, so we're doing this. But the government of Ontario puts out its own data here that shows there's no reason to freak out. So am I looking at the wrong data? Is the yes. government looking at a different set of data so, that again, is you're not sourced me. by the government of Ontario? You're interrupting what I was going to say by asking me to answer questions that you think is related to what I was going to say, but I feel is a distraction, but I will indulge you. All right. First, it's well, worth I'm, pointing I'm out. I'm talking about this anyway. Go first, on. First, it's worth pointing out that governments are not homogenous, right? Especially provincial governments, because they they don't have the power of a national government, but they still have the size and responsibilities. So they're definitely not homogenous, and they usually have elements within them that might disagree with each other, that might be in conflict. This particular Ontario government has a lot of disarray and incoherence and a lot of dysfunction in terms of they are not all playing on the same beat and they're not all playing to the same song. Um, However, I will point out again, as a libertarian, you should not take seriously governments, period, end of story especially national governments, especially the Ontario government. I would not look to them for any leadership. I personally think they're dysfunctional and incompetent. My independent research leads me to believe that the current variants of uh, the novel coronavirus globally are devastating. And they are having a devastating effect almost everywhere. Vaccines are having a positive effect, but we're not vaccinating fast enough And as a result, even though there is a public narrative that makes us think we're ending this pandemic, I feel that we're heading into the darkest period. I say that politically. I say that economically. And my example here, and and this I'm saying all this because of our discussion about the network state. My example here is Brazil. Brazil right now is collapsing, right? The heads of the military have just resigned. The entire healthcare system has collapsed. And the president of Brazil, who's a fucking buffoon, is completely under siege and, and is in, he's not in control of the country, period. The military is not in control of the country. The military leadership has abdicated. Nobody is in control of Brazil right now. So if part of what we're describing in our cyberpunk vision of the world is the fall of nation states, then I would argue we may be witnessing it right here, right now. Now, well, let- to go, let <clears throat> me just say one last thing. To go to what Charles was sort of evoking, right, about the criteria of the network state, I feel that we have two different things on the table with regard to the network state. The network state that currently exists and the network state that we anticipate. The network state that we anticipate, I would argue, has governance. Not necessarily a government, but governance in the sense that it's able to, you know, influence what's going on versus the present network state has no governance there's nobody in charge right it's emerging the way a child emerges into the world on all fours if it's lucky but probably on its stomach right it is literally slouching towards bethlehem to be born it it does not have 
consciousness. It does not have an executive. It does not have a legislature. It does not have a judiciary. It does not have any of the aspects of a state, but it is still a fledgling state, right? Like we keep suggesting if Facebook launches their currency, it's got a currency. Maybe Bitcoin arguably is the currency. So I, that's why I kind of feel that your question, Charles, is important. But I still feel that the network state that exists exists without a governance structure, even though I think one is forming quite rapidly. I'll shut up now and allow you guys to add your own perspectives. Mark, go ahead. You're, well, I was you know, so. No, go ahead, Charles. No, I was just going to say that you were speaking about the governance mechanism that's already existing, right? Which is this, you know, these th hundreds of pages of stuff that nobody reads and that does have an impact. And, and, and I want to hear more about what you want to say about that. I just want to insert real quickly. We talked about Tim Huang's book um, about subprime attention crisis. And one of his points is, uh, to Jesse's point about the, the Internet, you know, is still crawling. You know, it just it's um, emergent. It's in the U.S. It's all about money. Right. <laughs> Which ties into what Adam Curtis is saying is the global economy as well. It's all about money. And so the whole Internet is based on a, a, a mechanism to make money, which is advertising at first and then selling data right to marketers. And so I think we have to really focus on that element if we're going to talk about what defines the, the 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 network state. Is that how does it make its money? to keep growing and keep using, you know, huge amounts of power and, and human capital. So your discussion on, on governance as it is and how it actually functions to me is speaking to that whole model that nobody, that most Americans don't realize. This was not the only possible model for the internet. And, it, and very, it, it, yeah, go ahead. And, and very briefly, I think you're correct in pointing out that when Mark evokes terms of service, he's evoking governance. But I don't think that's governance for the sole reason that nobody reads it. Right. right? It's presented as governance, right. but it's rejected by everybody because nobody, like literally Mark said, as a governor, as someone on the board of governors, he didn't read it. So therefore right. we know that it is not actual governance. Sorry. Right. Mark, go but, ahead. but there's a disconnect well, sorry, there and that's the interesting point, you know? Yeah. I, I, I actually, I think Jesse's right. The terms of service aren't, governance per se what they really are i think in everybody's mind is supposed to be a contract legally binding if it suits the vendor legally not binding if it works against them there's just all manner of um so what defines a network state in my mind is how the algorithms actually exert control and what I've said very early on in the internet is, is the control takes place around the choke points. That's where things get controlled. So one, you need an identity component. I think so you, you have the, the, the user becomes the citizen or, or whatever the subject, there will probably be a monetary component like Facebook Libra or whatever they're calling it now. And other, other Apparently platforms Visa's got a stable coin coming out. That's right. And so like all so there's going to be because, you know, let's face it, money is the lubricant of society and who controls the monetary system controls society. That's always been one of my maxims. So these platforms or these emergent network states will try to control 
a monetary system, an identity system, and then with you see this, you see this kind of um, spontaneous emergence of vaccine passports or immunity passports, which has actually been impelled faster by big tech than by governments. Like I haven't really seen many governments well, come out and say. And I'd go even further. I'd say it's not just big tech; it's big business, right? Because it's you. You brought yeah. this up in an earlier episode. It's you know Ticketmaster, right? Yeah. It's it's pro sports. It's, it's Walmart. Yeah. Like, it, was, it's cruise lines. It's it's the people whose business. It's the big business whose industry depends upon some form of authentication that can prove that they're serving people who've been vaccinated versus people who haven't which then allows them to return to business. It's not government driving this. It's big business that's driving this. Yeah. But but Mark, I like I like your your way of you're starting to add a, a really concrete definition to like our working understanding of the network state. And you know, and I like Jesse's point too. We're talking about from ex existing to emergent to what we anticipate or possibly which futures that yeah. it could go to, right? Well, and I say they anticipate because we all enjoy speculating that it could be Facebook or Amazon, for example, right? So we enjoy sort of, you know, to your point about the algorithms, you know, we enjoy sort of rolling the algorithm's influence forward and say, well, who does the algorithm ultimately benefit? If, if, if social media and therefore reality as we know it today is a casino where the casino always wins, then... That's Facebook, that's Amazon, that's Alphabet. And that's why we end up jumping to the conclusion of they are ultimately going to be either the government of the network state or one of the network states. Hence, Facebook's face off with Australia, right, where it was a kind of like, you know, relations between governments rather than relations between a company and a government. And I think that's where. On the one hand, I always like to be the voice of this thing we keep talking about in the future is happening right now, and it's going to get a lot worse than we think. That's where I'm like, the network state exists now. It's just as dysfunctional as the nation state. It's run by fucking idiots, just like the nation state. And, you know, where we keep expecting a demagogue, where we keep expecting, you know, an empire to rise, it's almost as if the people who could do that are not yet in a position to do it, right? And, and I say that in the sense that, and, and here's my conspiracy theory, and I label it conspiracy theory because I have no evidence and no fact, and this is spoken entirely out of fear and delusion. But I keep thinking there are some assholes out there who own a shit ton of Bitcoin, right? That the byproduct of the whole Bitcoin episode is to use language Mark might use, has been the redistribution of wealth from a bunch of suckers. Don't get me wrong. The people whose wealth has been lost, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for. But there's been some serious beneficiaries of that wealth who, you know, for various different reasons, we don't fully know who they are. And they, at least in theory, currently have a tremendous amount of political economic power. Unaccountable political economic power and if they were the kinds of cyberpunks that we happen to be who believe that the future is a network state then they might be willing to take their wealth and bet that on a network state that would benefit their self-interest 
whatever that might be. And and that's where, you know, whether <coughs> Peter Thiel or, you know, any other sort of conspiracy I can imagine could be a whole other fucking villain here when it comes to, you know, the types of stuff that we don't like about society. But I, I think you're looking at the wrong the wrong whales, so to speak, because there are people like that who've who've become fabulously wealthy through crypto and who are sort of trying to fashion a network state in their own vision. What I loved about Bitcoin, exactly what you said, that a bunch of nobodies became unaccountably rich and powerful. And I love that because, you know, the wrong guys won. <laughs> And you're not so. What I but liked you don't, about no, no, no. Um, hold on. Oh, I mean, there's, there's two things there. I, I'm not going to debate, even though I'd like to, your whole value on the whether someone became unaccountable and whether unaccountable is good. I want to be I'm unaccountable for fuck's sakes. I want to be able to like be unaccountable. Let, let, I to said I, I used didn't want to have that debate. When I say I didn't want to have that debate, that was not an invitation to have that debate. That was saying <laughs> let's not get distracted by that debate. What I am questioning that I would love to hear your answer on that I am inviting you to speak to is how do we know who the winners are? How are how can you say that they are X or Y or Z? How can you say that they are this or that? For all you know, it's it's a Rockefeller. For all you know, it's, you know, a member of the Weston family. For all you know, it's, you know, the Clintons. Right? So that's why like if we don't know who these people are, why are we celebrating them? Well, we know who some of them are. I mean, they they have names like, you know, Nick Sabo and... Uh, we mean, know I'm who those who have come play. out. But I am hypothesizing that the majority of wealth is not people who've come out. Or am I wrong about that? You could be. I mean, because the, the, the blockchain is very scrutinized. And I was just listening the other day to someone talking about how the Satoshi entity has about $50 billion worth of Bitcoin to this day and yeah. has never has made one payment from it, has right. moved Bitcoin once. And that was to, um, oh, my God, the name is escaping me. Well, you know, one of like the second guy to run Bitcoin and he sure. – he passed away a few years ago but, in 2014. But my point, <sighs> if, if I was part of the Satoshi Consortium, right, and, and the larger that consortium is, the less likely that it exists, right, because the more people involved, the more likely someone would have outed it. But yeah. if I was a member of that consortium, A, I would still not tell a friggin' soul, and B, I wouldn't make a play until I could win the world. Because that's what the stakes are at fifty billion bucks and growing. I I think I think um, the fact that it hasn't been touched until now shows extraordinary self discipline to the point yeah. that it has to be completely ideological. And I don't think they're making or a they're play dead. for the world because or they're dead. That's possible yeah. as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but why don't you think they're making a play for the world? Isn't that the point of ideology? Because. When you're writing something from zero yeah. value, yeah. right? Sometime moon. before fifty billion, you're gonna you're gonna think you have the world if you've gone right. from zero. So somewhere around five hundred million or two billion or thirteen billion, you're gonna say, "My God, this is insane! I'm I'm make I'm making my play now. It can't go any higher." I so, I don't know. I I'm not so sure. 
But I think this is a good cue for Adam Curtis. Okay. Because I think this is an appropriate parallel to Adam Curtis. Because, you know, before the show, Charles, Mark and I were sort of talking about it. And I felt that the conclusion I took from the latest iteration of the Adam Curtis vision of the world is that we're fucked. Right? Is, is that, you know, no one's in control. We have systems that are far too complicated for us to understand. And yet we have not abandoned the arrogance that allows us to believe that not only can we understand them, but that we're in control. Do, do you think I'm wrong in, in making such a, a gross summary? No, no, not at all. Mark, why don't you, uh, what, what was your sort of uh, summary? You know, well, elevator. I was going to, I, I, I was going to say, um, it's kind of a strange inversion. Jesse's right about everything. There's no one in charge. We live in an out of control world. And I'm like, yeah, let's just, why can't like, that would make me happy for us to understand that we don't know anything. We're out of control. We're flying by the seat of our pants, but there's this underlying logic and progression to humanity. That if we can get out of our own way, get over this hubris, there's where Jesse and I are agreeing that we think we know everything we would avoid a lot of damage if we just accepted the chaos of like we're 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 lurching back and forth from crisis to crisis. But in the the immortal words of Winston Churchill, that I'll paraphrase, humanity will always do the right. You know, humanity can be relied upon to do the right thing once they've exhausted all other possibilities. So yeah. if we can just accept we're not in control, there's no one in charge, we don't know fucking anything. But, and we've created an infinite possibility machine that makes us think we'll never run out of bad possibilities. Yes. But we but we we overcome time and time again. The overall trajectory of humanity is upwards. Upwards. I mean, y you go through these pockets that can last 75 years that get pretty bleak, but in the overall arc of his of history things are getting better even with the bigger population you have like literacy going up child mortality going down poverty going down we have serious problems and what the most infuriating thing is we usually attack the wrong problem with like religious fervor and we just get distracted from the real problems but um you know it, it it's so charles okay yeah. your My thoughts on adam curtis my my take is extremely political, which is what I what I heard him saying and, and attempting to prove or provide evidence for is the entire global economy and systems of all nation states is is only concerned with money and therefore it's completely fundamentally totally corrupt. Yes. And that's what you find in and so in all nation states are equal. China's no better than the US. U.S. is no better than the U.K., U.K. is no, you know, and so on and on. You know, it's it's just nothing but an empty system because it's obsessed with solely with money. Yeah. And that's and that's corruption. So and he, what he did for those people who haven't yet watched it um, in his in a, in a one of his kind of tropes or, or uh, dynamics he uses, you know, in his uh, work is to take an individual and then tell the story he's attempting to tell through an individual. Classic good storytelling, right? We're interested in an individual. We're not interested in abstractions. And so he takes the lives of a number of, of, of uh, purported revolutionaries and um, they all end badly. There's no revolution. <laughs> so 
my my thinking, and this is where my mind goes to I, from Adam Curtis and the network state is, we know what happens when a nation state has a revolution. I mean, a real revolution, not just a coup. And we can look at like 1949 China. Well, they expropriate everything. There is no private wealth. I mean, Bill Gates or, you know, Jeff Bezos, gone. We took everything you own. We own it now. That's a revolution. That's, you know, and so I'm thinking, well, what would happen if we had a revolution that not was not just in a nation state, but in the network state? What would that look like where people attempt to expropriate so, big tech, just like they would overthrow the wealth of a nation state? So I, I, I think that's an excellent metaphor to use. And I think that's ex like the first part of that is exactly what's happening in terms of the network state versus the nation state. Right. Jeff Bezos is a revolutionary on behalf of the network state called Amazon. And he is appropriating all the wealth from any nation state that he can operate in. And he's doing a damn fucking good job. <laughs> now, to your question of then who is the opponent that Bezos is up at night fearing. Right. And, you know, maybe it is the unions trying to unionize Amazon. But it, it would be something similar, right? It, it would be a similar situation in which I, I've seen this described as fully, automa uh, fully automated luxury communism. Oh, my right? God. It, which is where the <laughs> – hey, now, okay, we can segue. Since you interrupted me, I'll segue now. Now, Mark, I just want to put on the table that I never will expect you to support socialism or communism. And, you know, I would be almost upset if you decided that you wanted to support socialism and communism. But if you want to work together, then you need to refrain from either mischaracterizing socialism or communism or defaming socialism or communism. You can debate socialism and communism. You can argue against socialism and communism. You can point out the flaws in socialism and communism. But you have to understand it before you're going to, you know, oppose it. And you have to, you know, not mischaracterize it, but properly characterize it so you can make your argument as to why you don't think it works. I say that as a tangent, but to bring it back to what I was saying in answer to Charles's question, I do think that there are people hypothesizing the way in which the algorithms and, and if and, and I'm not. Uh, a, a Marxist in any classical sense. I call myself a Groucho Marxist. But I think a pure Lenin Marxist would say that Jeff Bezos, is, what he's doing is good because he's consolidating all the wealth so that you can appropriate it even easier. Right? <laughs> that, that the benefit of these digital platforms amassing all this wealth is that it makes it really easy for the Politburo to seize it all. Right. And, and, and that's part of why I'm in favor of decentralization and, and distributed networks is, you know, the danger of a Bezos is not that he has it, but that some other asshole could come and take it all from him while he has it. And so that's why I was saying earlier that the network state does not have a governance model. It just has robber barons. And these robber barons are just using their platforms to pillage nation states. And nation states, to your point about Adam Curtis, are just systems of pillaging, right? Like they just exist so that people could pillage and tax and rob all of the wealth that they can from whatever. So, you know, it, 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 
we get, I think, legitimately into the question of we fear the network state, i.e. Amazon or Facebook. But should we also fear who they fear, which is what comes next? And I think the ultimate question of that is, yeah, maybe. You know, while also saying something I've repeated many times, I don't think China is a nation state anymore. I think China is the first nation state to say the nation state is dead. We must become the network state if we're going to maintain power. Because the one thing I will give the Chinese Communist Party credit for is their goddamn desire to maintain power. Like they want that more than anything else in the fucking world. And I think that's enough motivation for them to evolve into a network state. And I think that we are seeing that through their digital currency. I'll shut up now and let you guys respond. I don't think you're wrong there. I rolled my eyes when you said fully automated luxury communism because I was thinking of the book. Were you th talking about yeah, the book? Yeah, oh, 100%, yes. Okay. And the book because is is just one guy who capitalized on the discourse that's happening on the internet, but it's a meme to your point. Yeah, it's and 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 fully automated luxury communism is basically the singularity is here for communists. That's I mean, again, that's why I was trying to suggest that there's diversity in that world. Yes, there are singularity uh, nut jobs who support that, but there are also like there's also people like us who are anti-singularity and anti-transhumanists who also believe in a fully automated luxury communism. So both have different interpretations based on whether they think the singularity is a myth or not. Okay, right. let me burst in here with some reality of the, the real the real world, which is it's all about. There is no real world, but please, Charles, I, yeah, join no, us from Hawaii. Well, there is there is. Um, I always refer back to energy per capita because when Mark says there's a Hegelian um, trajectory upward for humanity, uh, that's a Hegelian at, statement. Right. That people um, who are interested in energy immediately think that's because you can track that upward path precisely to energy consumption per capita. And as long as that's going up, then you got upward because guess what? Everybody's got more energy to burn, you know, more, you know, oil slaves or, or you know, carbon hydrocarbon slaves, whatever you want to call it. So for luxury communism to occur, we're going to need like... Um, to completely replace all hydrocarbon energy and keep it growing beyond at the same pace it's growing now, right? So there's or only lower people's expectations. Well, that's you're going to overthrow. That won't happen. You, you can't get luxury, yeah. you know, with uh, a very on a lower low on, a, on a descending standard I, of living. I am don't want to debate you guys on those topics because they're not necessarily ones I believe in. So I don't want to waste my points there. I just want to point out the reality that luxury is a relative term. Oh, I understand. Please, Charles, continue. No, I totally agree. Hey, listen, I'm I'm totally. Uh, I mean, people here in in uh, on, on on this island, many thousands of people live on water catchment and have and and um, have generator backups because yeah. of the iffy grid and etc. Or they're so far from the grid, it costs them more yeah. to have the power company or connect a couple poles. In my own case, in moving from downtown Toronto to the country, right, I've given up tremendous convenience and have increased the amount of labor that I have to literally put in to basic systems that city people can take for granted. Yeah. But I feel that my luxury, 
has shot through the roof, right? Especially in a pandemic, right? And I certainly feel that my quality of life as well as the quality of my food Mm -hmm. is so much more higher. And that's just why I point out that luxury. And and I think you're absolutely onto something in terms of our relationship to energy. But that's why I'm just pointing out that it's relative and cultural. And that's a very good point. And so let's go back to Adam Curtis's thing, which is what what I saw, one of his conclusions is there's no value system behind money and corruption. And so what you're- what Other you're than saying, money Jesse, and corruption. Right, and what you're saying, Jesse, is right now, there's an equivalence in the network state and the nation state in terms of it's all about money and corruption, right? And so a revolutionary movement, whether it's religious, you know, or it's ideological, always has a value system which is appealing, right? Which is I, which is idealistic. Like, you know, Marxism is is an excellent example. But there's you could look at a lot of other examples, right? The Shakers. I mean, there's an idealistic system for you. There's a value system that then supports um, something beyond just an obsession with money, and that's what he's saying is lacking. So. I guess what I'm thinking is, well, I see a revolutionary movement that would take down both the network state and the nation state because they're both devoid of a of any value system, you know, that's meaningful. So, so I, 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 I think you're raising a, a brilliant point, but I don't see a mutual exclusivity that you do, which is to say, I agree that neither the nation state nor the network state has a value system. And that's a huge liability, a huge gap. But I do see value systems in the cultural ecosphere, right? Many. And I think it's a matter like a parasite taking over the host. I think it's a matter of one of these value systems merging with a network state. Because I do think we're going to see multiple network states. So therefore, different network states will have different value systems. And I think that these value systems will align themselves with network states, giving network states the power and legitimacy to finally transcend the nation state because they will have a value system that gives them that glue, that coherence. Well, Mark, go, I, go take it away. But I, I'm, I'm thinking back to one of your previous words um, where you said there's a thin layer of signal. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is that thin layer of signal about that Where's the meaning? Where's the purpose? You know, where's yeah. the human values? Yeah. So where's the take why? it away. Well, the word that got kicked around a lot in the last few minutes is the word value, right? And what the what you're saying about the Adam Curtis series is that um, everything is about money and everything is corrupt. Well, I keep wanting to go one step back and say it's the money system itself that's corrupt, which gives you a corrupt society because money is completely detached from value. Now, I'm not right. going to say we have to go back to a gold standard because I don't think that's that's feasible in this world. But I've been doing a deep dive lately into um, energy usage of Bitcoin miners and proof of work mining. And I listened to a very fascinating essay on Bitcoin Audible about, it's called How Bitcoin Will Save the World. It's a bombastic title, but he talked about how really um, the, the, the incentives behind mining Bitcoin will actually 
be beneficial for energy consumption and energy markets in general. I don't want to get into the whole reason why here. Suffice it to say, if you that's the ideal, I mean, the aspiration, it's aspirational of the cryptocurrency community that if we make money or currency backed by value, and in this case, the value is actually energy, right? Then you get back to um, you get back to that dynamic where in order for a transaction to take place, both sides have to derive ben a legitimate value from the transaction. And once that's restored, it changes everything, right? Because suddenly life becomes about trade-offs again. It becomes about uh, uh, priorities. It, it, it depends upon relative value so and how... It takes, sorry, hang on. It takes, uh, it takes at least a two-point consensus for anything to happen. But the world we live in now, that Adam Curtis is talking about, and that we're talking about, it's valueless because we can, we think we can create value out of thin air. And I'm just going to say one last thing. I'd be remiss to not mention George Gilder's book, Life After Google which really goes into this whole idea. I, I'd actually love to get him on this show one of these days. I mean, you, you mentioned that book so frequently, you should set up an affiliate link for that book and just feature Do I mention it frequently? Because I just started listening to it the other day and I thought I, I haven't really talked about that in a long time. But no, you no. have, and that's okay. Because, you know, I'm not saying this as a negative. I'm just saying maybe yeah. you should put up a list of regular books that you cite, you know, as affiliate links on the axis of easy. Interesting but let me push aside, back on, on a few points here. Though. Hold on. Hold you you had a good opportunity sec. there. Amazon is giving me nasty grams about the affiliate links, so I just ix them entirely. Okay, go. Okay, then set up your own bookstore <laughs> and sell those books, drop shipped or whatever. Um, so I think you are correct and saying because this is what we're all saying so i'm just you know acknowledging that the issue here is value i don't agree with your arbitrary assertion that value is not derived out of thin air i, I think that's exactly what how human psychology works but that's a whole other conversation but i also agree that there is an opportunity here for a currency to uh either link itself with a network state and give it power or become powerful unto itself if it has value associated with it that people can understand. And it strikes me that that's part of the appeal of Bitcoin, that people associate Bitcoin both with a, a value of technology, a value of mathematics, a value of the internet, but also a value of the future. Like, most of the people who promote Bitcoin are ideological. They have values. That's why they're doing it. And I think that's part of the strength of Bitcoin as a currency. So I agree with you 100% in that regard. And it'll be interesting if a network state, or even as I hypothesize, a nation state that is smart enough to try to evolve into a network state, tries to put that value into its currency and tries to articulate that value into its currency, you know, you could see the opposite of what Charles would want, right? You could see a, uh, a petrol state, right? Uh, an anti-carbon state that, you know, like Canada, its currency is tied to its oil reserves, 
right? And its currency is tied to its value to defy climate change or whatever. Like, you know, this is sort of more of what Mark was speaking to, is that you can have currencies that instead of it being void and based purely on greed and, you know, connection to the spigot, i.e. connection to power, that you could have alternate currencies that have alternate value. So I, I think that speaks to Charles's larger point of, you know, th there is a role not so much for ideology, but for narrative, right? There is a role for values. There is a role for purpose. There is a role for mission. And I'm saying that I'm seeing that on the internet, right? Like it could be, you know, our, uh, our friends, and I use that in the very uh, colloquial and sarcastic sense, you know, Steve Bannon, right? Their values are very clear. That's part of why he's successful, right? Is that he communicates his values very centrally as part of everything he does. And that's why he believes in nationalism, right? He sees himself as the quarterback of the nation state, making the Hail Mary to kind of save this, you know, for Christ, right? For family, for, you know, very clear traditional values. Versus there isn't yet someone doing that on the network state side. And that's what I think is interesting. And I would have thought that it would have been Zuckerberg, right? Like I would have thought that it would have been like a CEO of like a Facebook. It, I, was, I wasn't joking when I said Peter Thiel because Peter Thiel does have values that he puts forward, but he's not a public figure, right? So he's not playing the game of trying to win minds and try to spread values. So this is me predicting that there will be someone like this, that there will be someone who becomes just like Steve Bannon is an advocate for the nation state. I think we're going to see an advocate for the network state who's just as smart, just as savvy and just as sophisticated as Bannon in the way that they use values as a way to really put forward the, the vision of the world that they desire. You know, let me let me bust in here because I think you're making a really important point about the connection of a value system with a currency. And that's what, Mark, I think you're, you're, you would be in agreement with this, that, that I myself was interested in Bitcoin because of what it represented, not because I was hoping that I'd get rich. You know, it was it was like a way to bypass the whole kind of archaic banking system and the centralization. Right. I mean, that's how I started getting into it was I needed to pay a translator in South America. And it was all like, oh, this is great. I can just send him Bitcoin and forget, you know, the whole banking system. This is pretty neat, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, the climb system is basically a, an attempt to describe a value system that's instantiated in a currency and, a, and an exchange of, of goods and services, right, and labor. And, and so I think, I, I think you're right, Jesse, and I think, Mark, you would agree that people will, will glom onto a currency if they feel that, it, that it, it instantiates a value system they believe in and want to support. And whether they're going to get rich or not is secondary. They, they, they want the money to retain its value, but it, it's not just a speculative thing. Now I want to. I know this is. Um, I know this is like my usual thing of bringing in something at, at the very end from left field, but I want to bring in the idea that the network state is just as vulnerable as a nation state. And I'm going to refer back to Herman Kahn, who was a strategist in the 50s and early 60s when the nuclear era first emerged, and people started thinking through how do we use nuclear weapons and and win. And of course, the um, the doomsday machine um, idea, like um, 
Dr. Strangelove is there's no way to win, but there's actually a lot of people who thought deeply about it as to, well, how can we kind of win? <laughs> and, and the point is, it's all about nodes. It's, it's, it's all about Mark's critical points, you know, and that, so if you take, um, if you take a system that all funnels through a few nodes, then you just need a couple of hellfire missiles on predators and that stuff's cheap. I, I mean, maybe the, the full blown predator is expensive, but drones are cheap. So let me just go through a little scenario here. 25 servers. It's time for right per each, um, network big big tech network state right basically less than 50. how much money would it cost to go ahead and 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 nail them blow those things to to heaven not much maybe as few maybe as little as a hundred thousand dollars depending on you know how much um how much um energy you can put into your into your drone launch right and although, then, and then the, the thing blows up on its own i mean you know there's a lot I, of stuff in there i am so anxious by you just saying this out loud in my presence, that I feel compelled to say that the operational security and information security necessary to pull this off uh, would escalate those costs substantially. Because the fact that you just articulated that scenario makes me think that somewhere someone just had as part of their daily responsibility doing background checks on all three of us to make sure <laughs> that we were just saying that as a fucking joke, which we were for the record. Please um, continue, Charles. Or perhaps we should edit out my comments so we all don't nope. end up in nope. that rendition. It's for the record. Thing. Nope, it's for the record. Go ahead. Okay, that was just a joke based on a Herman Kahn comedy routine from the late 1950s. You will be remembered fondly, Charles. Oh, uh. <laughs> I mean, Mark, while you were uh, before the show, we were away, we did a joke about your rendition. And I said, oh, who's at the door? Oh, no, they've got us already. And I had all these different sound effects set up. And... Yeah. But no, you're you're, I, I think, Charles, you raise a very valuable point, which is the nation state and the network state are both currently still quite brittle. The network state is less brittle, but they are both fundamentally vulnerable and they are both uh, uh, easily susceptible to system collapse or system failure. That's part of Adam Curtis's point, right? That the systems we have are too complicated to understand and are far more fragile than we realize. And we delude ourselves in the security of thinking that they're stable when in fact they are entirely volatile and unstable. And that rather than build systems that take that into account, we have these brittle systems that that are, are suggest that we are facing impending disaster and impending crises. So I, I would agree that, that we, me in particular, tend to not so much glorify, but valorize the network state because, you know, I do see it as better than the nation state, but only marginally so. And really, we're comparing smelly turds here. So neither are, you know, provide the type of meal that we're really interested in consuming. Um, but I don't see any alternatives out there, you know, other than just sheer tyranny and autocracy and, and system failure, which I think is also potentially on the menu. 
I do try to focus on the alternatives. I still think our best case scenario is a decentralized open source network state. And that's mm -hmm. part of what I try to hypothesize and write about and research towards. And it's the model that I think is most likely to get the most buy-in from the public. And it's what I think the internet is by default starting to model because the corporations are too incompetent to execute their master plans, right? Which is to the point about the vaccine passports. Well, I think they're going to fail. Right? Like, I don't think they're like the same way that automatic contact tracing never happened. I mean, it happened in Singapore, sort of, but that's still sort of. It happened in Taiwan, sort of. And those are two islands that are authoritarian. So even there, they didn't pull it off, let alone a place like America or Europe where they've not been successful with this stuff. So I still think they're not going to be successful. So it's that if, if I were to say, Charles, that part of what you're saying that Adam Curtis is saying is everybody is kind of fucked up, you know, maybe it brings us back down to we should be having a conversation about values. We should be having a conversation about what are the values that can unite people? What are the values that can create a stable society where people can, you know, uh, uh, be environmentally responsible, but still improve their quality of living and still improve their lives? And their wealth, quote unquote, you know, maybe that is one of the focuses we should have moving forward. I agree, Awkward Mark. pause. No, probably a Mark. good place to leave it. Yeah. Good conclusion. The, the audience agrees, so, you okay. know. <laughs> I think that was Access of Easy Salon 41, or was it 42? 41, uh, I think. 41 Shit, like his that son means the next one we really have to come up with some substantive stuff because yes the answer. the answer to the meaning to the life the universe and everything but this was 41 we're not quite there yet like us on youtube spotify stitcher visit us on accessofeasy.com and we'll see you in a couple of weeks <laughs>